0: Today's reading is from Hebrews 7. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. though these are also descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descent from them, receives tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, Paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For there. who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life? for it is witnessed of him you are a priest after the or you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, for on one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introdu- introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a new covenant. The former priests, "'Separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. "'He has no need, like those high priests, "'to offer to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins "'and then for those of the people, "'since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. "'For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, "'but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, "'appoints a son.'" who has been made perfect forever. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning. Thanks, Nathan, for reading. This is a
0: difficult and a dense
1: passage, uh, but I hope that that the main idea is clear, even on a first reading. Uh, The main idea of Hebrews 7 is this. Jesus is a superior priest. Jesus is a superior priest. I'm calling this sermon the last priest because Jesus Christ is the last priest any of us will ever need. For the, for the original audience, the original readers of the letter to the Hebrews, this language of priests. And sacrifices and offerings and temples wasn't unusual at all. It was a part of their culture. It was second nature for them as Jewish people, Jewish Christians, to hear and speak in those sorts of terms. One of the reasons this text is so convoluted for us is because that's no longer true in our culture, of course. Um, The idea of a priest and of sacrifices and temples is not second nature for us. It's no longer a part of our culture, but we all still need a priest. We all still need a priest. Why? What is a priest? You know, in the Bible, in the Old Testament especially, there's three big jobs. There's kings. We'll talk about kings at another time. There's prophets. Prophets bring God to us. And there's priests. Priests bring us to God. Um, And that's still why we need a priest. We need a priest to approach God, to approach the God of life and light and salvation. You know, every single one of us have a built-in urge to be with God, to know God, and to be known by God. We're all that way because God has made us to know him. He's made us in his image, but we can't do that On our own, we need someone to advocate for us, someone to stand in for us, someone to represent us, someone to help us approach God. Why? Because we all feel guilty. Indeed, we all are guilty. All of us, in manifold ways, are unclean, and we cannot approach a clean, pure, and holy God. A show that came out 25 or so years ago now uh, is called The Sopranos. I don't encourage you to watch The Sopranos, but this is a good illustration. Uh, the Sopranos is about a man named Tony Soprano, who was played by James Gandolfini, and uh, he's the head of a major crime family. He's a mafia boss in New Jersey, and, and Soprano is a terrible man who does terrible things all throughout the series, But but the show opens with him having heart palpitations and, and all kinds of physical manifestations of anxiety. And he actually passes out and falls into his swimming pool in his pajamas uh, in his backyard. And, and because he's having these health issues, he begins going to see a therapist. Uh, the therapist is played by an actress named Lorraine Bracco. And, and their relationship becomes the centerpiece of the entire show. And, and the writers of the show are asking a, a question. They're asking a question... Something like, is this man, this mafia boss, only a monster? Is he only a monster? Does he have any conscience at all? Does he have any guilt or shame over all the terrible things that he does? And their answer in the show is no, he's not only a monster. In fact, even a man like Tony Soprano has shame and and regret and guilt. Even a man like Tony Soprano feels an instinctive need to seek atonement, to make things in his life that are wrong, right. And that's why he goes to see a therapist. Therapists are in many ways, the priests and priestesses of our modern culture. We all feel a need to make atonement. If you're honest with yourself, I think you would admit that Um, because there's so much in our life that we know is not right. There's so much in our life that we know puts us in the darkness and out of the light. There's so much in our life that we can't repair on our own. We feel the need to go to God, but we know we can't on our own, so we need to make atonement. We need, we need a priest. So here's the big picture. The Christian story is that God has given us his son as a high priest so that Through him, we can draw near to God. Jesus is the last priest any of us will ever need because only Jesus can really atone for our guilt. We're back on here in Hebrews 7, the main highway of the book of Hebrews. We took a a detour through some backcountry roads beginning in verse 11 of chapter 5 and going all the way through chapter 6. But beginning in 7, we're back to the main idea. Jesus is is superior. Jesus is better. He's superior to angels. He's superior to Moses. He's superior to Joshua. He offers a superior rest. And we saw already in chapter 4, Jesus is a superior priest. Today that is explained more fully. And it's explained by telling us about this very arcane and strange Old Testament figure, Melchizedek. Let's call him Mel just for safety's sake, because I know I'm going to screw that word up. Mel, he's been mentioned three times now in chapter 5, verse 6, chapter 5, verse 10, and in chapter 6, verse 20. And as you've been listening to us teach through Hebrews, you might have wondered, who is this guy, Melchizedek? And like any great storyteller, the author of Hebrews has sort of hinted at him a couple of times, but now he's going to tell you what this guy is about and who this guy was. Jesus is a priest in the order of Mel. Jesus is the greater Melchizedek. He's the last priest. Let's walk through this this passage in three parts, okay? You ready? All right, first, we see Jesus is a priest of a superior order, a superior order. Verses 1 through 10, um, they kind of give us the background of the argument that this author is making. And Melchizedek, he appears very briefly in the Bible, He appears in Genesis chapter 14 and then in one verse in Psalm 110, which is quoted in chapter 7. Here's what happened. In Genesis 14, Abraham, we talked about him last week, he's on the way back from this big battle that has happened between these ancient Near Eastern kings. Abraham was involved because his nephew Lot was involved, and Abraham is trying to take care of Lot. Abraham's side wins the fight. And he's returning back to his home with all of the spoils of war that he's acquired through this battle. And on his way back home, out of nowhere, this shadowy figure, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, which is Jerusalem, by the way, appears. And, and, and we read that he's a priest. Apparently, Melchizedek is a worshiper of the one true God that exists outside of the line that Genesis is mainly interested in, the line of Seth and, and Noah and Abraham. So Abraham and Melchizedek, they hang out for a while. They have some wine and they have some bread together. And then Abraham tithes. He gives a tenth of all the spoils from this battle he's just fought to Melchizedek. And Melchizedek, in turn, blesses Abraham. And then, poof, he's gone. He's gone. He disappears like a mist. The only other place we see him in the Bible is in Psalm 110, verse 4, which is quoted here in verse 17, where David, the original author, said, Melchizedek, or the the Messianic son, is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So what is going on here? Well, the author is using what he uses a lot in the rest of Hebrews. So I'm going to introduce a word that's important. He's using what we call typology. Typology. Mel was a type, a type of Jesus. When we use the word type, we mean that Mel foreshadows in significant ways Jesus. He pointed to Jesus. Jesus, the Hebrew's author wants us to know, is like Mel, but he's even greater than Mel. Melchizedek is the shadow of which Jesus is the substance. We see that even in the the meaning of Mel's name. Verse 2, Nathan read, his name means king of righteousness. And then he's also the king of Salem or Shalom, king of peace. And we also see that Melchizedek is like Jesus in that Melchizedek in Genesis has no genealogy. Think about it. Genesis, if you read through Genesis, is full of genealogies. It's obsessed with genealogies. Genealogies are very important in Genesis, but there's nothing said about Melchizedek's genealogy. That's not to say that he's not, he's not literally some divine figure. He had a mom and he had a dad, but the author of Genesis is not at all interested in that. And the author of Hebrews then makes that point in verse 3. He's without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life But resembling, you see that word? He's a type. Resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. So Jesus, of course, had a genealogy as the Son of Man, but as the Son of God, his priesthood is not dependent on his lineage. And in that way, he's like Melchizedek. He's not himself the son of God, Melchizedek, but he resembles Jesus, the son of God. He's a a type of Christ whose story is intended to help us learn about and love Jesus more. The point is that Melchizedek was a great figure. He was a revered figure. The author calls him great in verse 4. And then we see Abraham, the patriarch. If you fill out an NCAA tournament bracket of Old Testament people, Abraham's a one seed, right? The four one seeds, by the way, Adam, Moses, David, Abraham. Clear four one seeds right there. And Abraham's not going to get upset in the second round like a certain team I root for did yesterday. Okay? Abraham was a big guy, important guy. He's a patriarch. But Abraham gives Melchizedek, this shadowy, weird figure, a tithe. And then Melchizedek blesses Abraham. And the author makes it clear in verse 7. It's beyond dispute that the inferior, Abraham, is blessed by the superior, Melchizedek. And here's the key piece of the argument that the author is making. If Abraham, the patriarch, the one seed of the Old Testament, if Abraham is inferior to Melchizedek, then, stay with me, then Abraham's great-grandson, Levi, who's the head of the priests in the Old Testament, the Levitical tribe or the priests, is also going to be inferior to Melchizedek's priesthood. Thus, verse 9 and 10, Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Mel met him. So the order of priesthood that Jesus is a part of. The order of Melchizedek is, even in the Old Testament, presented as a superior order. The point being, Jesus is the great and the last high priest. If Melchizedek was greater than Abraham, the great-grandfather of Levi, and Jesus is the substance of which Melchizedek is only a shadow, how great must Jesus' priesthood be? So we see that he's from a superior order. Let's keep going. Second, a permanent office. Jesus is a great priest because of a permanent office. Verse 11, really all the way through verse 25, continue the argument. And if you'll look at 11 through 19, the author of Hebrews is basically saying this, okay? Because Jesus comes from the priestly order of Melchizedek and not the priestly order of Levi, like all the other Old Testament priests. Jesus is not, therefore, a part of the provisional and weak Old Testament legal and priestly system. Think about it this way with me, okay? Um, The way it worked in the Old Testament was that if you were a Levite, you're going to be a priest. Verse 16, it was based on a legal requirement concerning bodily descent. I mean, think with me. That could be a really bad idea. I mean, think about if we did that. If you were a pastor, (laughs) dangerous, dangerous ground I'm treading on here, only because your dad was a pastor. Now, I am a pastor's kid, and I know for a fact that there have been many times in my life when people would have thought just because he's a pastor's kid absolutely does not mean he should be a pastor. God is gracious, and I'm a pastor anyway. you can imagine, if, if pastors only were pastors because they descended from a line of pastors, that would be bad news. And that was also the case often in the Old Testament. I mean, Aaron, who's mentioned in this text, he has two sons. These two guys, Nadab and Abihu. And they were terrible priests. In fact, God puts them to death in an act of judgment in numbers 3 because they author they offer what is called unauthorized fire unacceptable worship before god but that was the way of doing things in the old testament hebrews is saying the levites were priests because they were levites but that was never intended to be final that was never intended to be the only way things are it was always in fact provisional, the entire Old Testament system was always only pointed to the need for someone greater, to the need for a better priest. That's why the author quotes from that psalm that I mentioned a moment ago, Psalm 110. Think about that. Psalm 110 is written by David in the middle of Israel's history when the Levitical priesthood is going full throttle, In the middle of the Levitical priesthood, fully operational mode, David writes Psalm 10 saying, one day a priest that really is going to be able to get the job done is going to come along, and we're all waiting for him. The author's arguing that salvation, what he calls in verse 11 perfection, was never going to come from this endless parade of priest after priest and sacrifice after sacrifice. So why? Why? Why not? Why can't the old way, which these Hebrews were being tempted to go back to, why can't the old way really do anything for us? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Stick with me. This is important. Two two reasons. First, the old way can't do anything for us because all of those priests were also in need of atonement. Look at verse 27. They needed to make sacrifices for themselves and then for the people. Their sacrifices can't ever really be effective. A priest who's also a sinner, killing a lamb or a bull, can't change your heart. It it can't purge your guilt. It can't wash our uncleanliness. There's no way. Because they too are sinners. But secondly, all the Levitical priests, even the greatest Levitical priests, died. Verse 23. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death. From continuing in office. You see what he's saying. He's saying these priests were people just like us. They were sinners who die. And because they're sinners who die. They can't bring us to God. They can't effectively do the job of a priest. They can't even bring themselves to God. They can't be available for us. But. Jesus is not like that. Jesus is not like that. He's a superior priest. Why? Well, because he's a priest, not based on just being born into the right family. He's a priest because of what verse 16 says because of the power of an indestructible life. Listen, the power of Jesus's priestly love for you, the power of Jesus's priestly presence. With you, flows out of something he has done. He has defeated death. Jesus can actually do something for us. He's conquered sin, he's ascended into heaven. So we have verse 19 and 18 a a better hope introduced through Jesus. And, And then, secondly, Jesus is a superior priest because, unlike all other priests, he's never going to die again. Verse 24, he holds his priesthood permanently. Why? Because he continues forever. So what? So what? Here's why, verse 25. Consequently, I'm giving you all this information, he says, because Jesus is able to save. He's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for us. Jesus is always available to you. Jesus is always available to you as a priest with perfect love, with perfect unmatched power, because Jesus died and conquered death and ascended into heaven and right now lives for you. Doris uh, Kearns Goodwin is a historian. She's written a lot of really wonderful books. And in some of her published writing, she tells stories about Lyndon Baines Johnson, LBJ, former president of the United States. She actually used to work um, as a staffer for LBJ when she was a younger woman. And she she notes regularly that LBJ was a complete obsessive workaholic. And, And he would call his staffers... All hours of the day and all hours of the night and expect them to be available. Expect them to be available for him and and ready to go. And it just wore his staffers out. She tells one story that I find funny. Once LBJ invited all his staffers over for a pool party. And uh, that was a rare If you worked for LBJ, it's pretty exceptional to go to a pool party at the White House. So they thought it would be a break, but they showed up and found out it was a working pool party. Who has working pool parties, by the way? Everyone had a phone and a notepad. I don't even know how they had the phone tethered to the wall. I don't know. But LBJ expected them to, I guess, work as they floated in the pool. He wanted people to be available all the time, but no one can do that. No one's always available except Jesus. Because Jesus has a permanent priesthood with real power, he's always available. Listen, Jesus is not just a priest from eight to five. Jesus is always on call for you. And that's exactly what we need. Why is that what we need? Go back to the beginning. Because the guilt of our sin spills into every part of life, every hour of every day. Let me try and make this really personal for a moment. I know know this is kind of heady stuff. Sometimes the Bible gets that way, but let me just ask you, okay? Um, Have you ever done something? Have you ever done something that was just so bad and that you regret so deeply But even now, When you think about it, you just, you wince. I've done things like that. I've had those experiences. Maybe you, you hide it. No one else in the world knows about this. But every time you think about it, you feel tainted. You feel like you're forever going to be behind the eight ball. What I want you to do is think about that thing. You're like, come on, Luke. That's what you get for coming to church. you got to think about that thing. Think about that experience. Think about that failure. How do you feel thinking about it? If you're anything like me, you feel that just this desperate need to be rid of it. To be rid of its consequences. Rid of its, of its shame. Rid of all its effects, right? It's just disgusting for us. Now listen, it's when you're thinking, it's when you're reliving those experiences and those failures and those moments that Jesus says, draw near. That verb is used twice. Verse 19, verse 25. Because Jesus saves to the uttermost. That's what his indestructible life means for you. So whatever those moments are for you, whatever you want to hide the most, wherever you most need forgiveness and removal of guilt, Jesus, as a priest, rushes not away from those experiences. He rushes into those experiences for you and with you, and saves you out of them to the uttermost. He, he rids you forever of those stains and, and splotches. He really, really takes all of it away. How? How can Jesus do that for me? How can his priesthood be that powerful? We see that last, okay? Third thing. He's the superior and last priest because of a single sacrifice. So the big problems, right, as we've seen with the old priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, is that all these guys died. They lack permanence. And then, more importantly, they're also all sinners. No priest can atone for you when he can't even atone for himself. But Jesus, verse 26, is a fitting high priest. What about Jesus' priesthood makes him a fitting high priest? Well, look at how the author describes him. He is holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Jesus can have an eternally powerful priesthood because in a crucial and essential way, he is not like any other priest, and he is not like us. He is sinless. He lived a perfect obedient, righteous life to God. Think again about those dark secrets in your life. You know what? Don't even think about that. Just think about like this week. Let's, let's lower the bar. Think about this morning. <laughs> and, and then read those words again. Holy, unstained, and pure. And ask, do those words define my life? No, I'm unholy, I'm stained, and I'm impure where in your life this week where in your life this morning are you stained where where are you unholy where are you sinful countless ways right but not jesus he's unstained He's the spotless lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world, as John says. He's innocent and holy. Verse 27, he has no need, like all other priests, to offer sacrifices first for his own sins and then for those of the people because he has no sin. And because of that, he's able to offer a perfect, lasting, once-for-all sacrifice for our failures, not for his, which makes him a great high priest. A high priest who lives to intercede for us, who can cleanse our darkest, darkest stains because he's made a single sacrifice. He's made the last offering. And the sacrifice, of course, was himself. He's our great high priest who has a permanent office, who has an indestructible life because he has died as the final atonement for sin. The apostle Paul puts it this way. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Why would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus die for me? Because God is love. Because Jesus loves you immensely, faithfully, and deeply. Jesus wants to rid you of every stain of sin. Jesus wants to make you beautifully, holy, and pure. Jesus wants to share his very life in the triune perfection of his being with us, and he will do it. His purposes cannot be thwarted. So so let's just wrap it up, okay, with one piece of application that Hebrews is pushing you to, driving you to, beckoning you into, Draw near, draw near to the great and final high priest. Trust him, believe his sacrifice of himself on the cross cleanses you like nothing else can and nothing else will. Rest in him, you who feel too dirty and impure to open your life up to anyone. Draw near. To your high priest, he will receive you. He will wash you clean. You who feel truly the guilt and the weight of all of your failings, draw near to your high priest. His mercy is able to remove all of your burdens. You who feel dejected with fear, draw near to your high priest. No wrath does he bear for you. Thousands have come, millions, and none have ever been turned away, no matter how raw and bad and evil their thoughts, words, or deeds. We all need a priest, someone to bring us back to God. We can't come to him on our own. Jesus has already done it.
0: So draw near. Let's pray.